Any of you that are visiting today, whether it be family or friends of the children that are being dedicated, or if you're just visiting us out of the blue and you don't have a church home, here's what we want to say. You do now. We'd love to have you be a part of this community called Tri-Village Church. And it's a great place with great people of all ages. I come up here about uh, twice a month. One is to just visit. And the second time is I, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm called a utility infielder. I speak about once in our main campus each month. And then I speak here. I just got back from... Uh, North Carolina, where I was speaking all week at a place called the Billy Graham Training Center at the Cove, and I had the chance to uh, meet about 200 pastors uh, that I got to be with these days, so uh, great, good. Okay, open your Bibles, if you would, to the letter to 1 John. We're eight or nine weeks into this. I think it's nine weeks now, and Will will finish it up next week. If you don't have a Bible to open up or turn on, we're going to read the text for you in just a second. Uh, but let me say this. It is fast approaching Christmas time. Could you tell by the trees that were up when you came in here? We didn't have anything to do with that. That's a wana. It makes me like them even more that they put up their Christmas tree before Thanksgiving even. Uh, <laughs> uh, but hey, everybody, this is what I want you to know. There is no time like Christmas to invite people to visit a church. It's the number one season of the year when people will say yes to an invitation. So maybe you've asked some of your friends and neighbors or people you've been praying for on your prayer list and they've not said yes thus far. Don't hesitate to ask now and especially for the Christmas Eve candlelight service. Because that's the number one day of the year when people that don't normally go to church will go to church. Next week, you're going to have the opportunity to uh, receive a, a gift. And it's called a yard sign. And the yard sign will say, rejoice. It's really cool. The, the script and everything looks very Christmassy. And then it'll say, Tri-Village Church Christmas Eve or something like that. What we want you to do is take one of these or two if you can, you've got a business where you could go and you just put those in your yard and you'll be promoting that our church is going to have a special Christmas Eve service through the whole month of December. So will you do that next week? They'll be here and you can pick them up or the week after, put them in the yard. I have been praying that it stops being so cold. Want to know why? Because I've ordered a thousand of these signs for three congregations. And I don't want the ground to freeze. But, it, but if, it, if it does, find a way to get that thing out there. Nail it to a tree if you have to. But just any way we can to promote that, that this is a great time to come and hear about Jesus. And you can't believe the sermons that, that uh, the teaching pastors are creating for the Christmas season. They're going to be great. All right? Okay, let's get into 1 John, and I would like to um, say this, just as I read it. I saw an interview this week, and it was by the actor whose name is Ben Affleck. Do you know him? Okay, in the superhero sagas, who does he play? Batman. Right, Batman, okay. And so since there's a new, how many of you have seen Justice League already? Is it worth seeing? 
Yeah, it's kind of an, uh, is it, Matt? It's just kind of a, yeah, yeah, take it or leave it. We'll see it anyway, those of us that like that. But listen to this. Affleck is a thoughtful guy. I've heard him interviewed to talk at length about philosophy. I've heard him interviewed, talked at length about um, politics. And so I wasn't surprised that when he was asked this question this week as he was promoting the film, um, what is it that draws people to these superhero films? And Affleck said this, he says, In our world of natural and human disasters, people are longing for a hero. Even if it's pretend. Listen to it again. In a world that is full of natural and human disasters, people long for heroes. Now, here's what I want to suggest to you. John, who writes this letter, is probably the last apostle who's living. He has seen the church spread throughout different parts of the world. And that's thrilled him. But he's also seen the, the, the incredible oppressive power of the Roman Empire. He's now witnessed persecution breaking out in some of the churches. He's also seen the churches that were started are closing because people fall away from God. We call it apostasy. He has seen heretical theologies start to slide through different parts of the church. And because he's a caring guy, 15 times in this letter he'll say, dear friends or dear family. He has seen the pain that individuals were going through. He has witnessed the plagues that spread throughout the ancient world. In a world of human and natural disasters, we long for a hero. And so if you will, John is making sure before he dies, both through these letters and through the book of Revelation, that one is lifted up who is the true hero of all heroes. And his name is Jesus the Christ. Today is no different. He's been repeating this theme throughout these five chapters. He's going to do it again in another unique way. But see it this way. In a world of human and natural disasters, we long to believe there's a God who really can do something about it. And he believes Jesus is the one. Okay? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. And I read, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater yet because it's the testimony of God himself, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. 
Whoever does not believe, God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have life everlasting. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God. All right. I'm going to camp out just a little bit on the first verse. But before I do, I want to, since this thing is loaded with theological content, I want to give you what I consider to be the big idea. If you're going to take one thing away today from these 13 verses, I would hope it would be what you're going to see on the screen right now. Today's theme. Believe and become a child of God forever. Believe and become a child of God forever. Okay? Verse number one. Incidentally, about half this sermon focuses on one verse. Verse number one. All right, look what it says there again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Okay, the first concept you want to look at there is the word believes. The word believes. Uh, go back to, thank you, guys. Everyone who believes. That word believes will be used six times in these 15, 13 verses. Why? It's central to understanding. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Now, the word belief is one of the strongest we have. Paul, John uses it throughout this letter. He uses it throughout his gospel. And it is a term that has more to do than just saying somebody exists. So maybe I just say, I believe Randy exists. Okay, I see him, I can touch him, etc., etc., etc. I believe that Will is sitting right there. I can see him, I can touch him, etc., etc., etc. I believe he's real. I believe these guys are real. No, no, no. The word belief in the Greek has much more content to it. It's not to just believe someone exists. It's to place your complete and total trust in one. And not for something they've done. Maybe you say, well, I believe in Jesus because he was a great teacher. No, this Greek word says that's not enough. You need to place your trust and belief in the totality of that person. The totality of them. Everything that they are. And this placing of your life into their life in absolute trust results in the union of you with this God. So that it's not simply a matter of only one way, your trust in them, but God literally enters you in union and you have the totality of who this one is living in you and you trust him with your life. Belief is a weighty, weighty term. Okay. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is the Son of God. Now, second, look at the name that is used there to define the Son of God. It says Jesus, and then it says, is the Christ. I'm going to give you four of the names of Jesus 
that we find in the letter of 1 John. Because in the ancient days, you didn't name a child Susie just because it was cute. The, the, the name had deep meaning, as, as, as it is in some of your families. But we don't take it nearly as seriously as they used to. We're going to look at these four names of Jesus that we see to understand the totality of who he is. The first one is, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the term in Greek. In Hebrew, it's Messiah. Messiah. Who was the Christ? Who was the Messiah? Uh, I'm, I might be simplifying this too much, but here it is. To the Jewish people, the Christ or the Messiah was the ultimate superhero for whom they were waiting. The ultimate. In Isaiah, 700 years before the time of Christ, the Messiah, the Christ, is spoken about. Listen to this. This is who they imagined this one would be. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's the family of David. So this, someone will come out of the family of David. And from his root... A branch will bear fruit. And on this one, the spirit of the Lord will rest. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear. He himself will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy and justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Their portrait was that a man was coming from the line of David who would be the true superhero, who would stop the oppression of whatever civilizations were oppressing the people of God, who literally would have control over the earth, who would be mighty of mind, mighty of strength, and bring just justice and care for the poor. A true superhero. That's what Christ and Messiah means. Okay? That's number one. Listen to what he will do. By the time the Messiah is done with his work, it says this, the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infants will play near the cobra's den. There will be no harm and no destruction on all God's holy mountain because the Christ is coming. So when you see the term Christ, don't ever think of it the same way again. It is the ultimate superhero who's going to change everything. Okay, that's first. So he says, whoever believes, verse 1, that Jesus is the Christ. Now, John has also given us some other defining moments of who this one is. In uh, chapter 4 of 1 John, 
I think Will taught this to you a couple of weeks ago. Either Will did or I did. The truth is we may really remember very little about our sermons within about 48 hours after we deliver them. We, we, we spend 10 to 15 hours in labor. We deliver that baby and forget all about it afterwards. But you don't. I'm sure you remember everything that we ever say to you, and it just is changing your life dramatically. Yes, this is what we think. All right, so in 1 John 4, 2 is the second definition we want to look at. It says this, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is from God. And so we believe that this Jesus who is the Christ, the Messiah, the superhero, is also someone who comes in the flesh. We call it Jesus incarnate. And we love that. And Sari read to us from, was that Hebrews that passage you read, honey? Yeah, it was so perfect because it was that explanation of the one who would be able to relate to us in every way and with everything that we go through, he goes through. He was born human. Did you know Jesus had headaches? Stomach aches? Did you know that Jesus bled when he was cut? Did you know Jesus' heart broke when he was betrayed by people? He was fully human. So this one who is the mighty superhero is the one who is fully human and understands all of our needs. He himself has been through them. That's what I love, that he came in the flesh. Manger, little baby, refugee. To save his life, his parents fled from Israel to Egypt. He was an undocumented alien. Everything. He's gone through it. When you think of him, don't think of him the same way anymore. He is the Christ and he is incarnate. The third portrait we have of him, and it's twice in this passage and once in the fourth chapter, it says, Jesus equals Son of God. There it is. That's the third. Not only is he fully human, we believe, but he's fully divine. He'll be called the Son of God. If you're the Son of God and God is deity, the Son is deity. He is the Son of God. We believe fully human and fully divine when he was here on earth. Now he is fully divine again. And that means all the attributes of the creator of heaven and earth, all the attributes of sovereignty over all things, all the attributes of absolute and perfect love, of absolute and perfect justice, all that God is, is Jesus. He is the Christ, the superhero. He is fully human. He is fully God. And finally, he is Jesus. Jesus equals Jesus. Do you remember? Now, now this could be a Christmas passage for us. Matthew chapter 1. The angel says to Joseph, and you shall call his name what? Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. The very term Jesus means Savior. In his name, 
Jesus, Son of God, in the flesh, Christ, you have bound up the best we can do in what we call Christology, the totality of who this one is that you choose to believe in. And no wonder if you can do that. No wonder if you can do that. Your life starts to turn around because he is with us right now. Pretty good? All right. Now the last thing verse 1 says, look at it there. Everyone who believes whole weight of trust placed upon him that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Something else happens when you believe in Jesus. It's not only that he is all those things and he is for you, but you can be born again, which means your own spirit can be joined to his spirit so that all that God is literally resides in you. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. So it's more than just believing in this incredible one, but it's that this one comes to find union with us to the point where the best description of it is it's like being born again. My spirit becomes linked to him, the spirit who is God. Look at these verses from John's gospel in the first chapter, John chapter 1, 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed, there it is, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born literally of God. Those who believe put the full sense of their own trust in this Jesus, the Christ, the incarnate, the Son of God, experience a new birth, and through that, receive a gift of eternal life. All of that's bound up in verse 1. Okay? I promise verse 2 won't take as long. It kind of summarizes the whole passage. All right, now, now move on with me here. What are the evidences that your belief has resulted in being born again? What are the evidences that your belief actually took that you're born again? Well, John says three things. Right at the end of verse 1 and through 2 and 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father. You love God. One of the first evidence that you truly have been born again is that you start loving God. It doesn't happen overnight. It grows in you. But pretty soon you find yourself waking up in the night and whenever you wake up in the night, your first thought is God. As you see a beautiful tree in the autumn, you immediately thank God. As you fall in love with somebody in this life, you immediately thank God. Intimacy with God and love for God is one of the sure signs that you've been born again. You love the Father. Then look what it says. Not only love the Father, but you love the child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. The child, using a human metaphor here, is actually the children of God. So you love God, that's evidence one, and evidence two is you really start loving God's family. You start loving them. 
uh, something happened to me. I think it's because I'm, I'm getting older. Um, but uh, in a worship team, when, when you guys were singing in the first service and Matt was leading you, I just looked at you from the front row and I, and I hope you didn't think I was staring too much. Uh, I just rejoiced in seeing you up there. I, I just rejoiced in seeing you play the bass for the first time, pal. And, and your sister next to you singing, and, and, and Matt and Sari, when they, when they blend in harmony, and I just thought these, these young, late teens and early 20-somethings, gosh, God, that's a really cool thing you've done with that people group. You start loving God's people. Yeah. I, I got to talk to probably two of our oldest members after the first hour, and I've known them for years because they were a part of our campus up in West Chicago, but we've never had 10 minutes to talk, and we just had 10 minutes to talk, and I go, gosh, Lord, these people are really wonderful. If you believe in the Son of God and are born again, you start loving God more, and you start loving God's people more. The third evidence, it says, and you start keeping his commands. You start obeying him. Okay? And some of you go, well, the love thing. I'm, I'm, yeah, I can do that to some degree. But here comes, doggone it, here comes the commands thing again. Verse 3, this is love for God. If you really love God, you keep his commands. We've been hearing this ever since chapter 1 of John. you think he'd get over it. But he just keeps bringing it to us. You'll keep his commands. But look what it adds at the end of verse 3. And his commands are not burdensome. Maybe you want to say, yeah, some of them are. <laughs> but John says, no, they're not. And so I had to ponder that for a while. What does it mean that the commands of God are not burdensome? Well, number one, here, 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 here's the truth. If God has given a command, he promises to give the commensurate power to be able to obey it. He knows we can never obey his commands on our own, our own selfish-driven lives. But if Christ lives in us, Christ gives us the power to keep the command. So he says, they're not burdensome. You get whatever you need to do it. Now, why do I still sin then? Because I choose not to choose God to give me the power to do it. Yeah. So that's first. Here's the second one. Uh, commands are not burdensome when there's love all about it. Um, if you really love someone, it's not hard to want to obey them follow them if you love someone you'll do dastardly things that you couldn't imagine you'd have ever done before i have a 19 month old granddaughter her name is aubrey incidentally she facetimed me yesterday we had the nicest chat uh, and um but about four months ago her mom and dad went away for the weekend and we said we'd take care of Aubrey, which we love to do. My wife is, is, a, is an enraptured uh, grandmother. But Marie and I both work on Sundays. So what are we going to do on Sunday while the kids are away? And we decided that Marie would get up and go because she needs to be at, the, at our campus in West Chicago really early because she manages all of the volunteer systems everywhere. Okay. So she had to be there. I wasn't speaking at either of our, any of our churches, so I was a little freer to come later. And so I would get up with the baby. Now, she's about 15 months old at this time, and I cherish her greatly, but I've yet to change a diaper on, on her. Okay, I, Marie seemed to enjoy it. So I, 
I just let her. Okay. Uh, but, but I knew D-Day was coming. And that means, because when she sleeps through the night, she gets up and you have to change the diaper. And, and so I go to bed at night. I said, Lord, you can enable me to do this. You, you count on God. And then she woke up and, and God gave me a wonderful challenge. This was not a normal wet diaper. Uh, th- th- this was a massive, uh, 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 a massive expression of, of, of her. And um, in fact, you couldn't tell there was a diaper there even. That's okay. I don't need to say anymore. But here's what I want to say. It took me like 10 seconds to have absolute love for this and even that. Why? Because when you love somebody, you'll do anything for them. This, God's commands are not burdensome. You love them, you'll do anything. Third reason that they're not burdensome is that the commands were never given to be a burden. They were given to be a blessing. It, it, when I follow the commands, my life has joy. It's when I break them that hell breaks loose, right? They're meant to be guardrails for us in life. Ask my brother, practicing alcoholic for 30 years. The command says, don't get drunk with wine. When people do get drunk with wine and all sorts of spirits, all hell breaks loose, even to the point of addiction, and life starts falling apart. God's commands were never given to us as to be cosmic killjoy. They were to be guardrails for the good life. Ask my brother now, because now he has been sober for nearly 10 years. Ask him which, which way is best, following the commands or not. It's a joke. It's following the commands. So all of those reasons, and probably some more, are the reasons that, that says obey the commands, and they're not burdensome. Yeah. They're not burdensome. Look what else it says, though, right after that. It says, the commands are not burdensome, verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He uses that phrase, overcomes the world, three times. Overcomes the world, overcomes the world, overcomes the world. He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he who believes that Jesus is the Christ, overcomes the world. And incidentally, there's three worlds that we have to overcome. The first one is we have to overcome the world of our inner propensity towards sin. Leave us alone for 10 minutes and we'll turn inward on ourselves just like that. But there's a new reigning spirit in us. And he gives us the power to say no to our own wrong choices. Overcome, we call it the flesh. The second thing you got to overcome is the world itself and all of its lies. I was talking to a young couple that are getting ready to have a baby at the end of the first hour. And they said, uh, you know what? It is really hard to get ready to have a baby because when you go to these stores to find out all the stuff you need to uh, have for having a baby she said I didn't know there, there were that many choices for, bo- for bottles of milk uh, I said have you, have you made a choice on car seats yet and they said oh my god and I go I know it's, it's nuts you know this baby's not going to have a good life if the car seat doesn't cost over a thousand dollars now 
They're going to grow up a little askew if they don't have it. And, and it's just this constant lie coming from our world that stuff, 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 things, 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 even for those we love, is the only way that baby will grow up well. That's a lie. There are a ton of lies out there that the world throws at you. Like you have to provide for yourself, otherwise your family will suffer, as if God wasn't a part of the ratio at all. There are a million lies out there. I choose who will be my life mate. You don't want to go there. You want God to be involved in that. It's a lie. You overcome the world of your own internal sin. You start overcoming the lies coming at you from the world. And finally, the third thing you overcome is the lies of Satan. Every day I battle the lies of Satan. He is a liar. He has been so from the beginning. There is no truth in him. So you know what I find that he does? He takes things like fears that I have of incompetency and it exacerbates it a thousand degrees. He takes a little bitty uh, conflict with somebody and if it's not dealt with right away, it grows into this huge thing and you'll never be able to get reconciled again. You just know you won't. That's a lie. Forgiveness is available to all. You overcome your internal sin you overcome the world and all the things it throws at you and you start even overcoming the lies that are coming at you from the dark side of the force all the time all right well so those are the evidences of the new birth love god love the family keep the commands they're not burdensome and in fact not only are they not burdensome but we shall overcome the flesh we shall overcome the world. We shall overcome Satan someday. I didn't do this the first hour. <laughs> Just popped in. Uh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. We shall overcome. I know who lives in me, and I believe. Right? Okay. All right, now, as we push toward our closure here in the next few minutes, look at verses 6 through 10, which are considered one of the most complex passages in the New Testament. But don't worry, we'll figure it out in three and a half minutes. <laughs> look with me at 6 again. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. What? what how do water and blood get in this whole discussion, right? Where's this coming from? Okay, I'll tell you where it's coming from. I'm going to show you a passage now on the screen. It's going to take you back to when John, the writer of this in old age, was much younger and he watched Jesus hanging on the cross. Look at this text. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies to you so that you may believe. 
Now camp on that for a second. John is watching Jesus on the cross. He expires. His heart has stopped. We know that the, that the putting in of the spear had to do with physiological realities happening in his death, probably emphasizing that his heart stopped. And that's where the death took place. So water and blood come out. But for John, there was much more to it. Look at he says, uh, the man who saw it gives testimony. Who is, the, who is the man who saw it? It's John, as a young boy, maybe 20 years old. He, he gives testimony that this is true. He's going to use the word testimony in our first John passage eight times. He says, I saw it. It's true. I'm telling the truth. I testify so that you may believe. What? It had something to do with the blood and the water. 50 years later, these give testimony, the water and the blood. I think he's probably seeing Jesus die on the cross and the water and the blood come out, but it has deeper meanings. Remember, John is the Picasso of the uh, gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are Rembrandt. You look at a great Rembrandt, you go, that's a man, that's a woman, that's a river. You can tell. When you look at a Picasso, you have no idea what it is. It might be a man, it might be a woman, it might be a woman who is a river. Who knows? <laughs> when, when you study John's writings, John had the capacity to work in the imaginative world of analogy in such a way that he would see things that, that God didn't give to the other gospel writers. I think that this whole thing on blood and water here is one of those for him. And here's what I believe about it in brief. I think when he says to us, it doesn't come, Jesus, he did not come by water only, but by water and blood. I think in that text he's saying he didn't come by water only. I think that has to do with his natural birth. And it, this isn't just me. I'm not smart enough to figure this out, but I've read a lot of smart people this week on this subject. That, that he was born human. We've already talked about how important that was. The, the, the water of birth. He came by water. And he came by water and blood. Water will have a second meaning to John. He saw uh, the baptism of Jesus where Jesus goes down into the waters. He understood that the waters of baptism signify the cleansing of what? Of sin. And then he saw the dove come upon Jesus' head to signify the Spirit. So the water is the water of his own birth. He truly was human in all that means. Secondly, he, in baptism, he presets what his death is going to be. Through his death, you can be washed clean from all of your sins. And it's not just water and water. It's also blood. And the blood is that his blood will spill on that cross. And only by the shedding of blood is sin fully forgiven. My cleansing is predicated on his shed blood. The fully human and fully divine God will himself lay down his own life that all sins might be cleansed by the giving of his blood. That's what I do with this.
And so what he's doing is he's trying to prove once again who this Jesus is. He's saying, testify, we testify, we testify, we testify, and it isn't just us who testify. God himself testifies. So the Spirit tells you inside this is true, and the water and the blood are the historical proofs that this is the unique one, the Messiah, the Christ. Well, it all takes us to verses 11 through 13, and with this I'll close. And this is the testimony God has given us. And he has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has this life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might know you can have everlasting life. So dear Christians, those of you that are Christians here, these things were given so that you might have utter confidence in who he is and that you can overcome in this world. For those of you who don't know him yet and don't know if you've been born again, come even today and we'll lead you in a prayer of faith so that you become a follower of Jesus Christ. But look at the end, at the beginning, the theme of our day. Here it is. Believe in this God and become a child of God forever. Amen. Let's pray.